Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Welcome, everyone. Here we are with another episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast with your hosts, Ugo Che and Ralph Velasco. So, good day, Ralph. How are you doing? Hey there, Ugo. I'm really well. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm really excited about uh, this episode that we are having here. And I guess you are excited as well because I just learned you are uh, yourself a pilot and our guest is a pilot too. So I guess you, you two will have a lot to, to talk about and share stories and so on. So uh, our guest, Bjorn Murman, who is a Belgian-born uh, photographer who has been living in Dubai for the last 16 years, where, and he's the really interesting thing that got me picked uh, picked my curiosity to, to interview him. Uh, he's actually a professional commercial airline pilot, and he flies the world's largest passenger airplane. That's the Airbus A380. So, I mean, and he's also a photographer. He's also a professional photographer. So that's, that's quite a lot of, of things to do. So uh, welcome, Bjorn. How are you doing? Th- yeah, good. Good to you. Thanks for the uh, introduction. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be uh, invited on your podcast. I've been a listener for, uh, I wouldn't say day one, but uh, probably since episode 15 or something like that. So uh, it's been quite a while. So you're, you're a commercial pilot. That means that uh, your job takes you to, to many countries around the world. And somehow this uh, got you started with, with photography, with travel photography, because you have so many opportunities to, to shoot great places. Or what, what's your story? Well, I mean, the flying did come first. That was really my kind of my first passion. And probably in a way it still is, even though photography is a close second, I would say. I, I'm kind of born in, uh, with two parents that were pilots as well. So I'm kind of born amongst aircraft. I, I was probably two years when I took my first flight in a two to three or three years in a small airplane. Um, was Belgium's youngest pilot when I was uh, 16 for just a little bit. Obviously, we do get older. So it was, it, it was, it was aviation that is kind of, that, that was the first thing. And that's actually when I first started up picking up a camera. It was to take it to air shows and to, to basically shoot images. Not so much aerial photography straight away, but more just airplanes and the whole, the whole thing around it. Um, it was then, obviously, several years later when I first started flying commercially uh, and getting to see more of the world, especially when, when I started flying outside Europe, that, that the travel photography really became more important. And, and when I took more and more uh, travel images wherever I was, uh, a camera was always with me and is still always on every single trip. I just uh, feel naked if I don't have a camera with me uh, on a trip going somewhere. So Bjorn, uh, as Hugo mentioned, I've, I'm also a private pilot. Uh, I've got my private pilot's license, which of course is sort of the first step to uh, reaching the mountaintop where you are. But uh, yeah, that's a tell- good start. <laughs> you have to start somewhere, right? Uh, so uh, tell us about: Are you do you have access to your own airplane? Do you own a plane? Are you getting out and shooting yourself privately? How does that work? 
Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, congratulations on having a private pilot license. I mean, uh, last statistics I saw, it was like 0.1% of the people that actually in the world have a have access to an aircraft or basically have, um, uh, have a pilot license. Um, License and yes, I do. Uh, because aviation was from early days was was so instilled in 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 my daily life. I do own an aircraft which is based back home in Belgium, and actually uh, use it a lot for um, for aerial photography, especially all over all over Central Europe. I have the advantage that my wife is a pilot as well. Um, she doesn't fly commercially, but she flies the little plane, so it makes it great for me to take images while she's flying, and uh, that way we're both happy. So, uh, yes, to answer your question, uh, I definitely still uh, fly a lot of the small airplanes as well. Uh, they both have their uh, advantages and disadvantages, obviously, but, uh, yeah, that's it. Well, the, the old adage is that flying an airplane is the second biggest thrill in the world. Yeah, and I the, can. Uh, yeah, and I the can first probably. biggest is landing one, right? <laughs> yeah. And they normally go together, right? That's, uh, <laughs> they all come down. They all they all land, but it's just yeah. how smoothly, right? <laughs> yeah. No, but even even after all these years, I have something like probably sixteen or seventeen thousand flying hours, which equals to about two full years uh, in the air. And even even then, I mean, every day I go flying. I still see interesting things on the ground, interesting cloud formations. The whole, the whole. It's, it's, it's never. I never really take it for granted. Even after all this, uh, I've been flying now just over 30 years. I just passed my 30th year uh, uh, earlier this year, um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's combining it obviously with with photography is 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 for me is perfect. Kind of whenever I can uh, combine these two things together, it's. Uh, even though I do a little bit of, of different um, types of photography besides the aerial photography, uh, obviously the, the aim of the podcast today is, is probably to speak more about the aerial, but I, I've been more and more interested in, in pure street photography as well, and I try to combine this with my travel. So wherever, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm in New York, if I'm in Paris, there's a lot of interesting cities to do that type of photography as well. Was uh, was meaning to ask? Do you get the the time and the energy to to go to a city like New York or Paris when you're between flights? Mm, I mean, I would yeah, imagine it's that it's quite stressful. There's a long flight, maybe ten hours, and then you land. And I would might think that all I want to do is just to go to a nice hotel, have a shower, relax, uh, get a cocktail by the pool or something, and then yeah, that's think I mean, some, sometimes that's what I do as well. Although I mean, to me, photography is more like a therapy. It's like Especially in 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 the professional aviation job, we uh, we so much uh, procedure and book driven that we rarely get to use creativity kind of. So it's a complete outlet for me to do something completely different. Um, and often being jet lagged is actually uh, quite quite good in a way. You can you can get out of bed at four in the morning because you're wide awake anyway, and 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 do some travel photography or do something interesting. Um, so yes, I mean. To answer your question, I, I I do find mostly the energy kind of um, the reason that we don't have kids is probably because uh, it, it does take a lot of a lot of the time. The photography uh, does take a big chunk of uh, of the time besides besides just the airline job for sure. Bjorn, let me ask you this: uh, you know, this is a travel and photography show, and and one of the things that just kills me as I get older is jet lag. 
Do you have any uh, any tips for us about uh, how to minimize that? You're shaking your head. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 hard, obviously. I mean, yes, minimize alcohol. Well, if you're flying, that's quite easy because, yes, we do not drink on board, but as a passenger, you occasionally do. So that doesn't help to kind of uh, for your jet lag. Um, people always say, I mean, making a day longer, basically flying uh, westbound makes it relatively easy. It's it's making a day shorter. If all of a sudden you're losing five, six hours, that's when it's hard. And there's, there's really not much you can do besides uh, maybe trying to stay a little bit longer awake and then uh, sleep when you're tired, I would say, kind of. Uh, we, you never get used to it. Even after 30 years, I still suffer from it every every week. Okay, that's kind of good to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not just me. <laughs> no, it's definitely not you. And, and some people sleep better than others. And as as you all know, the older we get, the harder it, uh, it gets. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of uh, yes, it does. Uh, it's definitely one of the negatives of of the airline job. That's for sure. So before talking more about your photography, of just one curiosity, uh, we did we mention that we are based? You're based in Dubai. Right, I think so. I, and, yeah, you might, you might, uh, yeah. you might have mentioned that. Yes, I've been. Yeah, sorry, go ahead first. Yeah, I was, I was meaning to ask: Do you ever fly the Dubai, Milan, New York route? Uh, it occasionally, mm-hmm. uh, not that much. I, I prefer the direct New York um, because, again, it makes it an easier flight for us, and, and we have more time to spend in New York than kind of. Not that I want to downplay Milano as as a city, no, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Reason, I occasionally the, do. Yeah. The, the reason I, I I ask is because the only time I flew an A380 was with uh, your company flying from Milan to New York. The, I see on that yeah. route. So I was yeah. thinking that maybe you are you are the pilot on that flight. Yeah. Who knows? It could <laughs> it's have possible. Been, yeah. Exactly. You never. I, know. I, I'll send you the dates so you tell me if you were. My okay. Pilot. Yeah, I can. I can let you know. <laughs> that would have that, been too funny. That would have been fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could have come to the cabin and showed you my camera. Oh, we have yeah. the same camera. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you said you mentioned that you enjoy not only the aerial photography, but also street photography and travel photography. Are you using different cameras, different lenses for each genre? Um, Not really. I mean, first, uh, 10 years ago, or even more than that, obviously, I was shooting DSLR cameras, a little bit of film uh, SLRs before, but then mainly digital DSLRs. And this went all the way up to uh, the big Nikon uh, D800 series with battery grip. So they're heavy, heavy cameras. To take these cameras on a trip with a relatively small flight flight back, which we're carrying, it made it quite easy. I mean, difficult to kind of always bring it. And it was easy just to leave it, leave it at home. So that's basically when I switched to the mirrorless system in 2012. I uh, started uh, shooting Fujifilm together with the DSLRs and gradually actually I moved uh, and sold all of my DSLR equipment. So um, to answer your question, I'm only shooting uh, Fujifilm mirrorless cameras and they're basically the same bodies uh, for all of the photography I do. It's mainly X-T2s, sometimes an X-T20, the smaller one as well. Obviously the lenses change and when, when I shoot the, the more demanding stuff, then I attach a battery grip to it so I can use with longer lenses and stuff like that. Um, towards the uh, specific for aerial photography, I 
tend to use or uh, almost exclusively use uh, zoom lenses, even though for the other stuff, I, obviously, prime lenses are very good. The problem with prime lenses and aerial photography is that you can't really change lenses very easily, especially if you fly uh, with a door open. I'm not talking about airline flying here, but the small, the small aircraft. Um, dust will creep in. You definitely don't want to change lenses. If you drop a lens, you might injure somebody down there, or you might just bring the, the plane or the helicopter down. So, um, so zoom lenses is the way to go. I tend to um, use lenses somewhere in the full frame equivalent 24 to 105 range, something that kind of covers that. That seems to do, I mean, pretty much most of, of my aerial photography. Um, with the aerial photography, otherwise gear-wise, obviously, having a good strap, um, not a hand strap, but a decent strap, which is properly attached to your body, is obviously very important as well. Um, take the lens hood off. Um, some things, that's something that, that a lot of people tend to forget. Um, if you put your lens, uh, try it in a car, and you'll, you'll see what I mean. Uh, the lens hood actually takes a lot of wind uh, if, if it's half out of, out of the plane. Um, and stabilizing it will obviously make it very, very hard. Um, so that's, that's, that's my kit for aerial photography, a good zoom lens. I typically use an 18-135 if you want to talk about uh, the Fujifilm uh, system. And then um, for the street photography, the smaller the better, obviously. Uh, it's, it's the smaller cameras with something like a 23mm or 35mm prime lens. Very, very, I mean, uh, classic from, from a street photography uh, perspective. Um, and occasionally I do some architectural work as well, especially here in Dubai, because it's a very, it's a city, obviously, which still, after all this, I mean, this expansion is still quite booming with a lot of new buildings coming up. Uh, lately, I've been shooting quite a bit with the uh, medium format uh, GFX uh, camera, uh, the Fujifilm, kind of only for architectural work. Um, I don't own it. I, uh, I have somebody who can uh, borrow me one from time to time. So uh, that's, that's actually quite nice. Any tips for uh, being stable while in a small aircraft and photographing? Uh, it's mainly, I mean, what the, the obviously image stabilization will mostly do you well. Um, having said that, it's mainly picking a, a good shutter speed. Uh, typically, I, I pick a shutter speed about three times as fast as I normally do when when shooting on the ground. So if you easy, obviously, 100 millimeter uh, focal length, you would typically shoot around uh, without image stabilization, hundreds of a second. Well, at least I would go to a 300 or a 400 of a second to, to basically make uh, stable images. And then use uh, continuous kind of uh, either low or high continuous uh, so you get several images in in, uh, in turn and, and, and you pick the sharpest one because it's not always easy to to photograph from a small aircraft, especially if it's if there's some turbulence, if it's a bit bumpy, then it makes it, it makes it uh, it can make it quite hard. Um, obviously, picking the moment when to fly early morning is obviously much better than than somewhere in the middle of a day when it's hot and and uh, that's creating a lot of a lot of turbulence. What about uh, not leaning on the the window ledge when you're going out? Do you kind of try to stay off? Yeah, the definitely. Ledge? It's a bit a bit like wildlife photography, where you kind of you you um, you, you want to don't 
don't attach your camera to to um, to the structure of, of the plane. That's that's a very good point. If you do shoot through uh, plexiglass, which uh, sometimes in small aircraft you can't open a window or a door. Um, in this case, obviously, pick make sure that it's clean, and and you want to shoot uh, at a right angle, basically, to the plexiglass because these things are known for diffracting the light. It's basically like putting a, a, a cheap kind of uh, plastic in front of your lens, which obviously you wouldn't do. You wouldn't buy a cheap filter and just put it on there. So you kind of. But sometimes that's what you do, and it's the only thing what you can do. And and you can still make reasonably good good uh, images. I've actually made made some very good ones, which which are sometimes hard to believe that they actually shot through plexiglass. A lot of people tend to think that they shot through uh, just open open air. And also take off your polarizer, right? Because a lot of if you're in a passenger airplane, because a lot of those windows are polarized, and then you get all kinds of crazy stuff going on, right? Yeah, that's it. And especially uh, on uh, now, obviously, it's it's not always easy to kind of. I mean, on, on commercial airliners being in the back, uh, it depends a lot on how clean these windows are. Typically. Um, some people think that the windows in an airliner are made of plastic, but that's just the inner the inner window. You see, obviously, the, the one outside is, is pure glass. It's actually several layers even. Um, and because there's that many layers, it's again, it's 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 a, it's quite hard to kind of uh, to shoot good images. But uh, I tend to on when shooting from the back, I tend to shoot a lot of images when the aircraft is actually banking. Uh, so you can actually you're, you're again you're at a 90 degree angle to the to the glass, which makes it uh, much easier to to come up with with some good uh, good stuff. Another question, which has nothing to do with photography, more like a personal curiosity. No. Again, why do they tell you to um, keep your the windows open? I mean, the, to raise the the shade when you're landing or taking off. That's a good question. It's actually an important one. It's mainly. Um, when when the aircraft has to be evacuated, for example, for for having a fire outside on one of the engines, the cabin crew would actually look through these windows and decide if if they can actually open that door to use the emergency slide, because not not all not all the uh, doors necessarily will be opened. You won't be opening a door in the middle of a fire, so that's it's basically for them to 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 be able to see easily, uh, and see what's going around around the aircraft. Basically, that's that's the reason. It's in case of an uh, evacuation. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now I know. <laughs> <laughs> How difficult do you find it to switch your mindset from one genre of photography to the other? Because you're doing these very different types of photography as you go along. Yeah, I kind of, I tend to kind of, Obviously, before I even go out, I, I know what I'm going to do. I rarely combine them, like even on a on, on a single day. So mentally, I'm really kind of, and they are very different. You're absolutely right. Um, of the the aviation photography came first, and that that's mainly uh, aerial photography. Um, occasionally, I, I I do go to air shows as well, shooting long glass. Again, you go there specifically, so you know exactly what to take. The gear is a little bit different, even though the bodies are the same, the lenses are different, the camera bag even or different uh, but then if it's just if I just off to New York for 48 hours I'll just take a single camera with with a single prime lens and that's that's basically it so it's it's a mental preparation kind of thing more than anything else uh, to enable to, to to be able to do to do these different types of photography I think my my if people look for example beside my website but if they look at my Instagram feed you'll see indeed a very different kind of uh, kinds of photography um, 
which to me makes it interesting. I've kind of, uh, um, especially since I don't do this full time, um, I still call myself an amateur because obviously amateur means, if I'm right, uh, somebody that does it for the love of it rather than kind of, it's not my main income. Yes, I do get some income out of it, definitely. But uh, it's really what, what I love to do. Uh, first and then when clients fit in that picture then obviously I'm, I'm, I'm doing that as well how can one get started with serious aerial photography i guess is it is it expensive first of all um the, i wouldn't say the gear is more expensive than your typical travel photography gear yeah i was thinking probably flying, similar actually. but more yeah the flying <laughs> thing is kind of yeah you can make it as obviously as, as expensive as you want but but people seem to actually under i mean overestimate how expensive it is i mean as uh, ralph was saying uh before kind of i mean an aircraft now a small single engine aircraft for two or four or four people basically costs around a hundred dollars for an hour so even with with paying a bit a little, little bit of a premium if you approach one of these flying schools some of the guys will take you up they're happy to just to go and fly and for just a little bit more for 150 dollars or something like that you'll be able to fly an hour around san francisco bay for example where there's beautiful uh, aerial photography uh, photo opportunity so you don't it doesn't need to be very expensive Especially if you stick to planes, if you go helicopter, the helicopter route, then yes, it's it's three to five, time, five times as much, and then you're quickly talking about five, six hundred dollars for an hour. Um, but even then, I mean, even in New York, uh, one of my uh, uh, my country mates, I, uh, Sebastian, it was right. You interviewed yeah, he, not yeah, that long he was ago. On, uh, on the show a few episodes ago. Exactly. I listened to that show. It was, uh, I, I didn't know Sebastian, but uh, checked out his work now. But he, he rented a helicopter in New York, and, and, and that's very common. And obviously, that's affordable as well. I mean, um, you can make it as, as, as expensive as you want. Uh, it, it's all about preparation and, and, and not just uh, putting your expectations too high if you haven't really prepared what, what you want to shoot. Um, so since an helicopter is uh, more expensive, are there advantages to shooting from a helicopter with respect to a plane? Yeah, there is There is definitely some. Uh, obviously, typically a helicopter will fly slower. Some people tend to think that, um, yes, helicopters can hover, can basically stop in the air. And that you would think that it's like a, having a tripod in the air. However, um, typically, your typical helicopter pilot will not do this because he's very, very vulnerable if he does this over a city. When something would happen uh, with an engine failure or something like that, then uh, there's basically no way out. So they will always keep on moving anyway. Um Another disadvantage I often see is, is especially with these uh, jet-powered, uh, what we call turbine helicopters, the exhaust is often right on top of, of the cabin. And a hot exhaust obviously um, deforms the image quite a bit. So you kind of have to be careful for that. Uh, obviously, the advantage is that it can take off and land wherever you are. Um, it's much more maneuverable, lower to, and then typically it will fly lower to the ground than, than uh, your typical light aircraft as well. So yes, there's pros and cons, um, but it's definitely more expensive. So how do you feel about drone photography with regards mm. to aerial? I mean, are you a purist where you'd never do that? Is it something that interests you? If, if I, I kind of, I was expecting to kind of have this question. There's a lot of people <laughs> around me actually asked me this question. Why don't you have a drone? And yes, I don't have one. Um, 
if you would have asked a year ago, I probably would say, yes, I'm a bit of a purist. And obviously, I enjoy the flying so much that it's, to me, I mean, uh, it's, it's part of the whole experience. Uh, will I be buying a drone? Well, probably. I would say maybe after this summer, somewhere around um, in the coming Christmas period, when I'm sure there will be some new stuff coming out, I'll probably look at it again. Um, here in Dubai and even in Belgium and in a lot of other countries, it's still quite regulated. So the things I want to take aerial images of are often not accessible with drones as well. And that's obviously another thing that's, that's kind of hindering it a little bit. But it's definitely it, it's something I'll look into. Um, knowing myself, I know once I do it, that I'll be full on to it kind of. And, and it's just another thing to kind of uh, that will make make uh, a busy day even busier. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, probably will at some stage. I would like to talk about uh, two of the locations that you're most familiar with. And uh, regardless of whether we think of photographing them from the air or from the ground. And one okay. is Dubai, which is now your home. And the other one is Belgium, which uh, yeah. is your uh, home it's country. It's my home as well. So it's, 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 yeah, it's hard for me. It's hard to kind of uh, to say what is really my home. Um, the large majority of the time I do spend in, in Dubai, probably in total over a year, probably, I mean, uh, 80% of the time I'm, I'm in Dubai rather than in Belgium, besides traveling outside. Um, Dubai is actually, is, is an interesting place, obviously, as you probably, I mean, I don't know if any, any of you guys been to Dubai before? Or? Yes, I have you, not. You have, yeah. Um, some people like it, some People think it's it's a bit too much. It's a bit too artificial. It's it's kind of it has a bit of everything. Um, it's I mean, first thing, don't come here in the summer. I would kind of it's a bit like living in New Zealand, where you want October to April is basically your best season. Well, that's exactly here. Even though it's in the northern hemisphere, uh, you want to stay away from the summers. They're just too hot and humid. Um, typically, in the summer, the visibility goes down quite a bit, and makes it makes it hard to do any aerial or even landscape good landscape photography. So, winter is 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 definitely the time to be. Um, with all these interesting buildings, obviously architectural is probably the first architectural cityscapes, if you think about travel photography, is the first thing that probably comes to most people's minds. Uh, things like the worst highest building, the Burj Khalifa, and then the Burj Ararab, the, the famous seven-star hotel, and in, it in, uh, looks a bit like a sailboat. They've been shot to death, but it's a bit like the Eiffel Tower. You can still make interesting images as as long as you kind of you look for different angles, different perspectives. Um, so architecture is probably is going to be a big focus of people that come come to Dubai for photography, and then street photography should not be forgotten as well. There's a lot of uh, a lot of um, people never go to the old part of town where. You have these old wooden boats that are still every day being loaded with, with from washing machines to tires with second-hand cars sent off to these places in India, Pakistan, kind of, um, which makes it very interesting and very original. It's like Dubai used to be probably 25, 30 years ago, even before before I got here. Um, and then just outside Dubai, there's obviously, if uh, travel photography, uh, there's a lot of nice desert scapes and, and, and um, dunes and, and quite spectacular uh, sceneries from that side. Uh, I just discovered the other day a small um, deserted village, an abandoned village in the middle of the desert, which has been overtaken by the desert, where the sand is actually... A bit like in Namibia, in uh, forgot the name escapes me now. There's this place in the southern part of Namibia, um, 
where the, the the desert really has overtaken the the village kind of. So yes, I mean, plenty of opportunities in in the wildlife photography. That's for sure. Interesting. And what about Belgium? What part of Belgium are you based on? I'm I'm from the west part of Belgium, close to Bruges, between mm -hmm. Bruges and Ghent. Uh, I think uh, Hugo, you're familiar with Bruges, right? It's, uh, uh, yeah, I've been to Bruges once. I've been to Ghent uh, more than once. So I'm okay. kind of familiar with that area, yeah. Yeah, uh, obviously, I mean, uh, Central Europe, it makes it very easy to go first from Belgium anywhere else, really, kind of. Uh, but in this, uh, the, the place where I'm from is, is very known for its uh, military kind of history, if you want, second and mainly first world war, kind of. There's a lot of, it's, it's right on the, where the front line used to be. So you have all these cemeteries, you have all these, um, and that's, we're talking about more about aerial photography here. Um, there is tens of, of craters still left, huge lakes now from, from the First World War and kind of, and I've been trying to document these in, 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 in a series of images. Um, that's often, I mean, that's, that's often very, I mean, uh, well um, received by people visiting. There's people that specifically come for these things, um, especially if you had family in, in, in the war or something like that. Uh, and then cities like Bruges and Ghent and Antwerp are obviously my, probably my three favorites as well. Um, since I've been away from Belgium, I've kind of I've started looking a little bit different in a different way. It's kind of it's hard to describe, but it's kind of it. I'm almost looking at at it, even though I know it very well, obviously because it's my my native home country, as as an outsider, uh, more than more than just um, somebody who lives there. Which which then kind of makes for some uh, different images, uh, probably. Uh, talking more about street photography here, but uh, documenting what a real Belgium, what 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 the real country kind of looks like to 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 an outsider. If that answer, I hope that answers your question. It wasn't too long. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. Uh, it's interesting this thing about the, the real Belgium. I mean, uh, Ghent and Bruges are beautiful cities, but they're also very kind of. To touristy, I mean, those beautifully preserved historical centers, uh, they're uh, definitely great to photograph. Uh, at the same time, that's, that's not all that Belgium has to offer. I think that's of course not. No, no. Um, um, yeah, but uh, I, I definitely, I, whenever I go back home, a camera always comes with me and I always try to do at least a few days of, of uh, some good photography. Yeah, I've only been to uh, Brussels and Antwerp, uh, but uh, Belgium's definitely a country I'd like to explore more of. Uh, mm. I, I, it just looks fabulous. Yeah, I'm actually in, I'm all excited, and just uh, probably by that by by the time the podcast airs, I'll, I'll probably would have been over. But in just a few days, I'm actually flying an A380 to Brussels for the first time. Um, as as a one-off flight, kind of. Uh, so it's 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 quite nice to kind of go back there in uh, after basically 16 years not having landed an airplane in, in in Brussels, and then just a few hours later, hopefully I'll be able to fly my little 65-year-old airplane and and do a little bit from from uh, lower to the ground. So uh, hopefully, it should the weather should be nice. Wow, 65 years old, huh? What kind of airplane is it? It's a 1954 uh, Piper Cup, which uh, wow. is American-built, ex-military ex aircraft. Um, yeah, it's uh, a vintage plane, let's call it that way. And you said your, your wife is a pilot, so she pilots the plane and you take photos. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it works quite well, kind of. Uh, that's how we met. I, I, she was looking for a flight instructor and I happened to be the one. So, so we've been together <laughs> since then. <laughs> 
What's what's it like sitting in the in the right seat once in a while? Yeah, it's okay. I mean, uh, back <laughs> home, back home at work, I I'm an instructor and, and an examiner as well, so I, I do I do I do train a lot. So it's kind of it's uh, yeah, that's that's quite quite fun. I've actually never sat in the right seat. So uh, the captain always sits in the left seat and the co-pilot in the right, but the instructor always sits in the right. So I've only, you know, I've, I've soloed, of course, uh, you need to do that to get your license. But uh, yeah. that, that was one of the best experiences of my life is s- flying an airplane solo when the instructor signs off on you to be able to fly on your own. And typically you do three go rounds so you, you know you yeah three circles off yeah. and land three times i went around seven times <laughs> <laughs> it must have been good enough. i hope i hope it wasn't because you needed the seven landings but i'm sure you enjoyed it so much yeah. i greased every one of them and it, it was just i was having fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a moment in life you never forget i'm sure it's kind of it's uh, one of these things yeah uh, we mentioned the airplanes, of course. We mentioned helicopters. We mentioned drones. Uh, are there any are there any other ways to get up in the sky? Sure. Yeah. I mean, going back to Dubai, um, with all these high buildings, to me, even rooftop photography, getting over on the roof of of a high building, is to me is aerial photography as well. It might not meet the pure definition of, of not being connected to the ground but obviously what you're doing is exactly the, exactly the same you're looking for these interesting patterns for these kind of uh, uh, shadows that make give give the image a, a special feel right um, so that that could be that uh, possibly could be uh, shooting from high buildings could be could be one and then what's often forgotten is is balloons balloons are actually great for aerial photography the only the only negative if you want about it is obviously that they can't steer so you can't you have to go with the wind you have to go wherever it takes you but that that can make it quite interesting as well so you kind of you you're quite open and uh, you're constantly looking for interesting things to happen and it goes so slow that you actually have time to kind of uh, um, look around and uh, to me that that's I haven't done that many balloon flights myself, but it's definitely something I'll, I, I want to do more of. Uh, about travel photography, I'm sure you guys probably know a lot of a lot of the places now. The the known, I mean, uh, places uh, just been to Myanmar not not that long ago, to Bagan in uh, Burma. Um, balloons are very very uh, active there, and there's a lot of people that actually take take these rides. They're typically more expensive in tourist places than they are back home. Check in your own home country. I mean, like in Belgium, I've actually taken quite a few balloon flights there. Um, it's probably about 100 euros or 120 dollars, US dollars, um, for a flight, which takes just a, a couple of hours. So it's actually definitely worth, worth, uh, worth looking into it. One, uh, on my trips that I organize, I often will try to get our groups up into a hot air balloon over a place and... Uh, of course, in Cappadocia, it's one of the big things to do there. And But also in Vilnius, Lithuania, on my Baltics trip, we do it. Okay. And it, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's the only capital city that allows hot air ballooning uh, in the city, you know, for, uh, to, to take off from, you know, down almost downtown. And uh, it's it's wonderful, and and that perspective that you get because you can lean over the edge and shoot straight down with absolutely nothing, glass or plastic or anything 
uh, between you and the uh, you know the ground and uh, and this last time we went we uh, actually flew right over the airport and so you see these airplanes landing below you and Wonderful. they kept us yeah they kept us in a holding pattern for, you know as much as you can a balloon but uh, they wouldn't let us land for for quite a while because of the the, the flight patterns yeah I mean, and as you yeah it's out. it's it's definitely balloons are definitely something to look into if you've never done it it's it's one of these experiences again which we, you will remember for uh, and 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 people that are scared of heights should not be put off you kind of in a balloon you can't really be scared of heights uh, to be to be able i mean to kind of uh, be scared of heights you, you need to be connected to the ground typically on a building or on a ladder something like that so uh, yeah it's it's definitely nice yeah, I'm definitely afraid of heights, and and I've been able to do it. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. I, I took my mom up uh, in Palm Springs. She uh, had always wanted to go up into a, a hot air balloon, and uh, I, there must have been eight or ten other balloons. And the balloon that they assigned us to was kind of this old, uninteresting, not very colorful, looked kind of sun worn. And my mom said, uh, "Boy, why do we get the ugly balloon?" And I said, we want to be in the ugly balloon well, so you that do, we can yeah. photograph all the beautiful <laughs> balloons. <laughs> exactly. It's a bit like, why Why does everybody want to go on the Empire State Building in New York, right? I mean, you're, you're better off in some, some other buildings and, and photographing the Empire State Building. <laughs> it's like they say in Paris that the, you want to go photograph from the Tour de Montparnasse, yeah, which is the ugliest which is, building in Paris because it's the exactly. only place in Paris where you cannot see the Tour de Montparnasse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Valérie Jardin will, uh, will probably confirm this as well. Oh, I think she would. Uh, well, yeah. she, do she doesn't go up on buildings to take landscape shots anyway. So. <laughs> no, true, true. That's true. <laughs> Good. Uh, so uh, I don't know how many years you have. Uh, you think you'll still be flying as a professional pilot, I mean, commercial pilot. I guess they don't let you fly when you're 70 or so, probably. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. official, I mean, uh, commercially, you can fly now until 65, so mm -hmm. which, which is actually quite, obviously, quite a high age already. Uh, there's some talks about even raising that. Um, to be honest, Igor, I mean, uh, especially with the smaller airplanes, I, I can see my, myself flying as, as long mm -hmm. as I can medically do it. So... Um, Commercially, yes, probably not. Uh, but I, if I can, I always, I always, um, I always remain a pilot as long as I can. Um, if medically I wouldn't be able to do that anymore, then yeah, I'm probably going to concentrate a bit more on purely aviation photography, uh, just to get on board of airplanes again, I guess. Um, and by that time, hopefully, the drones will 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 have stabilized a little bit in, in the regulations, and, and uh, that might be something to look into as well, if, if this would, would happen. But yeah, photography could definitely replace um, the pilot job if that would be needed. I kind of, it's a bit like a, a backup plan, but having said that, um, as I said before, I'm uh, I'm a proud amateur photographer, so I, I love I love just to to do it with, without too much pressure from outside, having to kind of deliver every single day. Um, yeah, and you, you, you still enjoy flying, even professionally. Of course, I do. Yeah, yeah you can. Yeah, you probably hear uh, here, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, someone who's traveled as much as you do, is there uh, some place that's at the top of your bucket list that you haven't been yet? 
uh, might it might sound a bit cliche, but it's, it's uh, the next the next place I guess is, is always the one where you haven't been, right? Um, I think I've been to last time I counted just a little bit over 80 countries, 80 countries. Some of them obviously spend more time than the others. There's, there's places where I've only been like 24 hours or 30 hours or something like that. Um, but Antarctica must be on that number one, I think. Um, I have to go to Antarctica at, uh, over the next few years. Um, it's, it's definitely high on the bucket list. And if I could do some aerial photography there, that would be so, so nice. That's, that's, uh, that's on the top. Okay, one more question from me. Unless Ralph, you have uh, you have more questions? I don't think so. We had a great conversation. Wonderful. So, so my Thanks. last questions that I started asking all of my guests uh, recently, and um, it's kind of a discovery or thought-provoking question, kind of open-ended, and it is: yep. What drives you crazy? Okay, I've heard this before. It was actually because I listened to your podcast before. I had been uh, trying. Were, to, I mean, thinking, thinking about, about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, I, by the way, I like. I like that question. Kind of, it's not something you hear every every day on the, on interviews. Um, to me, it must be people flying drones uh, irresponsibly. Um, almost every day, I mean, uh, people take drones up close to aircraft. Um, there's now two cases of, of an aircraft being hit. Luckily, nobody got killed, but it's just a matter of time before people will get killed. So uh, people should really kind of, I mean, if they fly drones, they should fly it with, with a bit of common sense. Uh, don't go up in an approach part where you're not even allowed to kind of uh, go up there um, trying to take a nice image. No image is, is worth the life of one or several hundred people. And if people keep on doing what they're doing now, it is going to happen uh, in the very near future, unfortunately. Obviously, it's close to my heart being a pilot. Uh, I'm definitely not against drones, but they should be kind of, they should be using their, uh, thinking a little bit more what, what they basically, before they do these things. That, that's interesting uh, because sometimes people I've spoken to, they say, okay, that's all this, uh, uh, kind of a scare about those drones that might uh, interfere with a flight but most people seem think well it's just a small plasticky thing if it's hidden yes. by a big big plane is it really going to create problems so you're really an insider here we want to know the truth about yes. this you can definitely bring back a smaller airplane. I mean, uh, even up to something 20 passenger, like with a twin engine prop aircraft, uh, very easily with, with one of these drones. If you think about it, I mean, aircraft come down with, with big big birds, right? I mean, in yeah. a way, it's kind of, it's the same type of weight. It's the same type of dimensions. It has more metal. It's probably less flexible. Um, so definitely, it's, 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 uh, it, it is going to do, do damage. There was a, I believe there was a military helicopter that had to do an emergency landing in New York about three to six months ago because it was hit by a drone. The tail rotor basically got, got hit by a drone. So um, once again, it is going to happen. It's not a question. If people don't use their common sense, that it is going to happen. And I just hope for the guy uh, down there that uh, he can run quickly or go. <laughs> okay, so people fly safe. <laughs> yes, Please. indeed. Please. <laughs> 
All right. So uh, I think we're at the end of this uh, uh, very interesting conversation. Uh, I love that we could talk about this, this topic, aerial photography. We don't get to talk about that much, especially from somebody who really knows what he's doing up there. <laughs> so, okay. Thanks. No, I really enjoyed it. Fun. I was kind of look, looking forward to it and uh, it, was, it was a great interview. Uh, thanks, guys. Yeah, before we say goodbye, where, where can people find more about you online? Do you have a website? Yeah, basically my name, which obviously will be in the show in the show notes, Bjorn Moorman, uh, B J O R N M O E R M A N, is basically wherever you can find me. Uh, .com is the website. Uh, on Instagram, I'm quite active on Instagram. I try to post every day. Um, I, I've been running this. Uh, pick of the week series on my blog for the last nine years now I believe it is every week I, I post an interesting image and it's like kind of shows the type of photography we, we just discussed um, and on social media Twitter and, and all the other ones I'm all Bjorn Moorman makes makes it easy I don't think this is uh, is a namesake so it makes it easy to kind of uh, find me okay very good we'll put links in the, in the show notes uh, and a few of your uh beautiful photos I say I don't know how you fly I don't know if uh, <laughs> if I was on that flight to New York with you that was a smooth one I'm sure yeah. your flights will all be smooth but I can only yeah. attest to your photography then, then it's really exactly right. well flying flying is one thing and obviously taking the images is, is another thing and they they normally not not done together so no. we we obviously do it in a safe way okay Ralph anything else you would like to to say well, I just uh, thank you, Bjorn. It's wonderful to uh, meet you, if even just virtually, perhaps uh, meet in person someday. That would be wonderful. But uh, thanks for being on the show. Who knows? Yeah, thanks, Ralph. Uh, we definitely look into it. Uh, who knows? One, one day our paths might, uh, might cross. Same to, same to you, Hugo. Thank you very much for inviting me. You're welcome. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Well, thanks everyone for coming out for this episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I really did. And uh, Hugo, what do you have coming up uh, on the calendar? What's going on? Yeah, what I've got coming up, uh, we mentioned already in past episodes, we uh, just started this collaboration with Discovery Photo Tours and our previous guest, Ken Kamineski. So I'll be leading a tour of Tanzania in, uh, in the end of August of this year, 2018, it's going to be from the uh, 19th to the 29th of August. And uh, at the time that we are recording this, there are only two spots available. So uh, check out if there is anything, any more spots left. And then I've got uh, Oman coming up uh, in December and then uh, Venice again at the beginning of the year in February 2019. These are my main tours, but I've got a few more few more still open. Uh, check out my page at tours.ucphoto.me and of course my main website at ucphoto.me. Great, and uh, I know that we're both going to be speaking at the Out of Chicago Photography Conference from June 22nd through 24th. You and I have a full day scheduled together with a, a group of participants uh, teaching a workshop all day in beautiful downtown Chicago. So if people would like to join that, go to outofchicago.com slash summer, I believe. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. But if you'd like to get $50 off of your uh, reservation fee, you can either use the promo code VELASCO50 or CHE50. And as far as uh, what I've got coming up, uh, looking forward to my Copper Canyon trip in Mexico 
that's coming up in August. Uh, Romania is sold out. I'll be scouting in Armenia and Georgia, as well as Portugal at the end of September. And then I've got India and Vietnam trips. And I'm just announcing a trip to Cuba in February of 2019. You can go to my website and look for join the interest list and there's a list of all our trips there and you can join the interest list for specific ones if you'd like to find out more about me and our trips go to photoenrichment.com or look for me at photo enrichment or at ralph velasco on all the social networks how about you go where can people find out more about you online yeah at uh, ucphoto.me as i said but i would also like everyone to check out our website for everything about this podcast at ttim.photo uh, subscribe on itunes leave us a review leave us a comment uh, and join our facebook group at ttim.photo slash facebook we have a bi-monthly contest going on you can submit your best photos and uh, for a chance to be invited to be a guest on the show so that's uh, that's all for now now let's get out and shoot <laughs>